Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. So I want to talk to you today on um, a thought about trusting the vine dresser. And so uh, I'm going to get to the scripture about the vine dresser. Everybody knows where the scripture is going to probably wind up in here somewhere. But um, this message is a little odd. And um, it came about uh, Sunday night. So Sunday night I was trying to go to sleep and uh, I just kept for some reason thinking about my mom and having this weird story running through my head about when I got in trouble as a little kid for throwing grapes from the grapevine. And um, so it kind of led to another story and I just kept going over and over and I could I just couldn't go to sleep. And so I finally was able to get to sleep. And the next day I met Heather for lunch on that Monday and I was telling her about uh, why I was having such a hard time going to sleep. And so we kind of bounced some some thoughts off of each other from from that. And I realized that this this thought was actually a kind of a follow up from uh, last week's message uh, and also a message that Heather and I did about uh, trusting the process. And so uh, last week we talked about making a miracle for those that weren't here and talking about the importance of just doing good, how often that gets forgotten. Um, when you see things of miracles in the Bible, you also see the phrase of doing good. And so um, from there, Heather actually, we were, we were talking about one of, the, one of the preachers I was speaking about last week that I didn't give his name was actually uh, Bill Johnson. And uh, Heather had listened to a message uh, on Monday or Tuesday. We were talking about it. And uh, it was his intern speaking somewhere. He, the guy was his intern for a few years. And uh, they were talking about, he was talking about the people coming up to him asking about Bill Johnson. And then Wednesday night, for those of you that don't know, Bill Johnson's wife passed away from uh, cancer. And so I've been seeing a lot of things going on with the family and with, with Bethel Music and all that stuff. Uh, reading it all week and couldn't quit stop help but to keep thinking about the family and thinking about him and some of the different things and and so uh, the message that she had heard the guy was saying that everybody wants to know what's it like hanging out with Bill Johnson what's it like to be his intern uh, on all and, and they're thinking that he's going to tell them all these stories about the amazing conferences all over the world that they go to uh, about the miracles and the signs and the wonders and the and the amazing messages that he preaches and all that. And he told them, he said he tells them all that the most powerful thing of being Bill Johnson's intern is walking with Bill. That when you're walking from one place to another is where he learns the most. And so what he said about him is that when you're walking with Bill, no matter, he's, one, he's super busy. And he said no matter how busy he is, wherever he's going, he's picking up trash the whole way. He doesn't leave anything messy. And if he sees someone carrying something, he's going to go help them carry it. And if he sees a door that needs to be opened, he's going to go open it. And he said, and even beyond that, that when they're traveling in airports, 
And everybody knows how when you go, you know, you get off the plane and everybody's got to go to the bathroom. And when you go in there, there's always that one stall. And you think you've hit it lucky because nobody's in this one stall. And as soon as you get your head halfway in the stall, you jump back, realizing why nobody's in that stall. And uh, somebody has just totally made a mess out of it. And he said that he never leaves that stall, that if there's a messed up bathroom stall at the airport, he will clean it. Even though somebody's going to get paid to do it, right? Uh, I'm not that good a person. I go to another stall. But he will clean the stall. And he said it's just he's a servant everywhere that he goes. And he says so that's what in, has influenced him the most and impressed him the most, just walking with Bill. And so I began to think about that with what we talked about last week, about how so many people, they overlook just doing good and being a good person. They're after some super spiritual thing, which he's had those too, but everybody forgets. They're, they're so much after that that they forget about doing the little things. And I, so then I started thinking about what it must have been like for the disciples. If we could really have the disciples here today and ask them, would, would, would they tell us all about the feeding the 5,000? Would they tell us about walking on the water? Would they just tell us about what it was like walking with Jesus? The real lessons that they learned just day to day doing the simple things, just seeing him do good everywhere uh, that he went. And that's how it is for us as believers because you have, you have so many people that they don't really trust God. They say that they do, but yet they're constantly after this big event and they waste so many days of their lives of just walking with the Master and just trusting God and learning from Jesus every single, every single day. And so I don't know if you had this happen to you this week, but I kept coming across that phrase, doing good, in my reading time this week. And so when I, when I got back from uh, eating lunch with Heather, I, began to, I, I wrote down a couple thought, thoughts so I wouldn't forget them and uh, was just doing some reading, and, and I came across this one. Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those of the household of faith. It really is amazing how often that phrase shows up of what our focus should be. And uh, not growing weary while doing good knowing that in due season we'll reap. That's all about trusting God. It's all about trusting the process, and it's all about doing good works. We're not to grow weary while doing good. It's about trusting the vine dresser. And so, like I said with the disciples, the things that they pick up from Jesus, just walking with Jesus, we don't need to neglect that and, and miss the opportunity of, about the little things that are so important, the behind-the-scenes things that no one will ever see or know about. And so I was thinking about what kind of things would they have picked up from him. And I began to, uh, uh, that night I kept thinking about my mom, and I'd actually been thinking about things I had picked up from her. And she's in children's church today, so I can say whatever I want. And uh, she might watch it later and talk to me. But, but my mom, she has a, two peculiar things that she does. Uh, one of them that and it's because, you know, you pick up things from your parents, some things you want that you're proud of, some things you wish you never would have picked up and some things just happen and you don't even know how they happen. And and uh, my mom is when she's asleep, if you try to talk to her, she only opens one eye. I don't know if any of y'all do this or not, but when, when I go in there, I'm like, hey, mom, mom, she's like, what? And I'll start laughing. 
And I'll say, Mom, what are you doing? Are you conserving energy? Are you still halfway asleep? Is, it, is, you, is half your brain not working? Why are you only open one eye? She still won't open the other one. She'll say, shut up and tell me what you want. I'm trying to sleep. Well, I've noticed now I do that. Uh, and and I'm, I'm even worse than my mom, I think, because it just depends on what side of the room I hear the sound on, which eye opens when I'm, when I'm laying there trying to rest. If it's Heather on the left side of me, if it's the kids on the right, I just pop open one eye. Another thing that my mom would do is um, I enjoy making my mom mad, like just getting her riled up is what I, uh, what I say. And so you, we, you learn at a young age, if you get my mom upset, you're okay. Everything, it's not going to be a problem. And if you get my mom mad, you're still okay. If she starts screaming and yelling at you, you're still fine. You can just keep right on pushing those buttons. But when she grits her teeth and starts talking through her teeth, you're in trouble. She's getting ready to slap somebody when she starts talking through talking through her teeth. And I kept having this run through my mind because of what happened to me at the grapevine. And uh, my grandma had a grapevine right outside her house. And so uh, the kids, we were out there, a few of us uh, eating grapes, or they were eating grapes. And my mom had always told me, don't ever pick the green grapes because they're not ripe. You're wasting them. And uh, because, you know, you're little, you think you can get the green grapes like in the grocery store without the seeds because they're on the, on the vine, but you don't, there's the ones that aren't ripe. you got to wait. And so my cousins were out there, and it's, there's always a mixed bunch when you're just picking grapes off a grapevine. you got the people who can't stand the, the hole or the, the, uh, the skin of the grape, and you got the people that can't, I couldn't stand the seeds in the middle of the grape. So uh, being kids, you know, the ones who didn't like the skin were throwing the skin hitting the other ones. And the ones who didn't like the seeds were spitting them out at the, uh, and throwing them at them too. And so then they started picking the green grapes and throwing those at each other. And I wouldn't do it because my mom had told me I'm not supposed to do that. And, but they were having so much fun. And they were laughing and cutting up. And I broke down. I gave in. And uh, I probably had thrown about five to ten grapes by the time someone had told our parents inside what was going on. And so he, out come my aunts, and they, they bust out the door, and they don't even leave the porch. They're just yelling at us. You kids know better than that. Cut that out. Quit throwing those grapes. Well, my mom bust through after them, and guess what she was doing? She was talking through her teeth with everything she had. <laughs> I can't believe you were doing something like, get over here right now. And she got a hold of my arm, and she laid a whipping on me. And it was a little more than a spanking, but it really wasn't horrible. But she, she whipped me, and uh, my aunts were even said, Cat, why are you whipping? Because she knows she was still, as long as she's talking through her teeth, it's not going to stop until she calms down and opens her mouth. And uh, she whipped me, and they said, I can't believe you whipped him over that. Well, he knows better. And so I still, when I tell this story to the kids or anybody now, I, I usually tell my mom that she whipped me so bad that my aunts didn't even whip their kids. They just figured it wasn't necessary. I got enough for all of us. But it really wasn't that bad of a, of a whipping. But I couldn't understand it. 
Why would I get a spanking? I was the last one to throw the grapes. I didn't throw as many grapes as anybody else. But my mom in her eyes, it's kind of like the, the scripture where the guy has the field and he, he goes out and he gets the workers. And then a few hours later, he gets a few more. And a few hours later, he gets a few more. And at the end of the day, he pays them all the same thing. Well, my mom doesn't give out equal opportunity paychecks, but she would give out equal opportunity punishment any day of the week. She, was gonna, she, she whipped me like if I was the ringleader and had talked everybody into it. And I didn't understand it, even though, because I, I was thinking they were so much worse than me. But see, that's a problem we get a lot of times. We keep our eyes on everybody else. It didn't change the fact that mom had told me not to throw those green grapes. It didn't change the fact that I had done wrong, even if my wrong didn't seem as bad to me as what theirs seemed to me. And see, sometimes we get this attitude in that same way with God. We're asking God to, Lord, just direct my life and guide me, help me to make wise decisions. And then we do something we shouldn't do, and God says, oh, wait a minute, you shouldn't be doing that. Why does everything happen to me? Why does things seem to be so hard for me when nobody else is, this doesn't happen to anybody else? And so what we come to realize, though, is as kids, you're thinking that, too. You know, you always think you get the worst spanking. Nobody else, you're, you're always picking on me, never my sister, or never, you know, Michelle or Jill never got it as bad as me. And the thing about it is that what you come to realize when you become a parent is that when you're getting ready to spank a kid or lay out the punishment, who is the person that, that gets it first? Or, and usually ends up being the worst because you calm down after you get to the second or the third one, depending on how many kids you get to lay the smack down on, I guess. But it's the one that's in the closest reach. You don't go by three kids misbehaving to go get one on the other side of the room. You're getting them as you come to them. And that's what we have to realize. I know that God is everywhere. I know He can reach all of us at any moment that He desires. But sometimes when it seems like Everything, why is this happening to me? Sometimes receiving correction can be a sign of closeness and love. It can be a sign of being close to the Father. It can be a sign that you're walking with Jesus when He's able to just reach out and say, that's not what you need to do. You know, be you know better than that. And Mom taught me that that day, that I knew better than what I, I didn't know I knew better, but I should have known I knew better. And she reminded me of that. And she taught me that just because something that seemed like a good idea for me to to, to, that I wanted early, that it was going to be, the result was going to be so much sweeter if I would just leave it on the vine until it was due season. But see, we have a lot of people that can't learn that lesson. There's a lot of people that have never grown up because they constantly want things right now that they should have left on the vine. They want everything their parents have, but they're not willing to work 20 or 30 years to get it. They want, they want, they got to have this toy right now. They got to have this position right now, this title right now, but they're not willing to just give it the time and wait and keep doing good until due, due season. You see, if you give it time and you leave those things in the hands of the vine dresser, then, then when you do get that title, you'll have the maturity and the character to carry that title. When you do get that position, you'll have the maturity and the character to be, to, to be productive in that position instead of being over your head ready to quit. And we've all done it, and we've all seen other people do it. And, but it seems to be getting worse and worse, and one of the reasons, I think, is because of the victim mentality that's all over the world. Everybody's a victim. It doesn't matter who they are, how good they have it. And the reality, we can all be a victim if we want to because everybody has an excuse. 
everybody has some reason that they could use to be a victim. And the problem with being a victim is when you're a victim, you can get away with anything. It's just like in our legal system. Now, I'm all for this, this law, but if you break into my house and you're going to try and hurt me, I can kill you. And that's perfectly legal and it's perfectly fine because why? Because once you broke into my house, I became the victim. And when I'm a victim, I can do anything I want to protect myself. Well, that's good in, when it comes to the law of the land, but not so much when you start trying to apply it to every area of your life, which is what people have done. We were never supposed to be victims as Christians. We're supposed to be like Jesus. He was never a victim. Even when he went to the cross, he laid down his life. And no matter what the situation is, we have to remember not to take on the victim mentality. And see, but people will do it. And what happens with that, when you become a victim and you're, that, that's the way you see yourself, you are literally capable of anything. And not only are you capable of it, you'll justify it. And you'll see people make complete fools of themselves and you don't understand what they were thinking or why they would do that. And I might not know exactly what they're thinking, but somewhere behind it, you'll find the victim mentality. It's dangerous and it's toxic and we're seeing it, uh, we're seeing it all over the place. It's growing every day. But no matter what happens, it's always somebody else's fault. Just like me at the grapevine. I wanted them to get it, not me. See, it's always someone else's fault and someone's always hurt their feelings. And when you get in that state of mind and when you get to that place, there, it, it's really hard to help someone like that. Because they always, every time you point out a truth to them, they're going to say, yeah, but you don't understand, but. Every time. Instead of trying to get better. They don't want to get better because they're a victim and they like, they like to, to stay that way. And so I had this incident happen. Uh, incident happen uh, it's been about, I think it's been over, about 11 years uh, you'll see when, uh, in a minute, we're, I'm getting ready to show you this video, and the quality's horrible because I, I, I videoed this on an old Android phone. But I went to this pest service, and usually um, Heather always asked me, was it really that bad when I'm telling her about something crazy that would happen to me on my job? This is like the only pest service I think I ever got on video, and uh, the video doesn't do it justice, and I don't know if you'll be able to see it from there. But uh, go ahead and play the, play the first video. Yeah, so this, this, this is a, a house we were treating for German roaches. And there they are under the kitchen table, hanging out. Behind the food. Who's hungry? Where are we going after service? Okay, this is going to be behind the stove, on one side of the stove. Yeah, they had a few. Those two were racing or something. That's the door. This is the door to the garage. And that's me saying, I got to show this to my wife when I get home. <laughs> okay, and now I've got one of um, 
I think that's it on that one. Okay, now I've got one of behind the refrigerator. There they are. Okay, now that you got somewhat of an idea of this house, and so it really doesn't do it justice because the stove, we had pulled these things out a few minutes before I started video, and so that stove, where it was on one side, it was actually all three sides just like that when we first pulled it out. And the refrigerator, uh, instead of it being down at the bottom, it was pretty much about chest high all the way down. Um, so this is what happened. One of the sale, well, the salesman there at the office that I was uh, working at, he sold this job. He came to me, and he said, uh, "Hey, I've just, I've, I've got a really bad job I need to do, but I don't want to send the guys out. Uh, I think they'll be mad at me." And uh, he said, "But I'm going to do it. But I need help. I don't want to go by myself. Will you go do it with me?" And I said, yeah. "I told him yes, I would go." And he said, "The lady knows. I've given her a lot of instructions of what needs to be done. They, they understand that the house is in." Uh, it was a really bad infestation because this this is probably this one might be in my top 20 list I don't know if it hits my top 10 but uh, but it, we, you go into some crazy crazy stuff sometimes uh, when you go to them sometimes they're like that and it's bed bugs and that's real fun but so he says uh, I told her you know the price was really high you know a lot more than normal because it wasn't like a regular job and I said okay I'll go so we get there, and uh, she had a lot of animals. And so uh, they had, she had taken the big dogs and put them outside and, and uh, tied them up in different places of the yard. And the little dogs and cats, they were putting them in the garage. She had, I think, twice as many cats as dogs. And uh, when, we get, when I walk in, they don't have everything ready. Imagine that. So there's this old guy in there with oxygen on and a cane trying to catch a cat. And he just reaches down and grabs this cat by the neck. And he, then he's, he looks at me, and I, he, I thought he was going to fall over. And he says, here! And this cat is just like, I, mean, I, I can't even do the impression of the cat. And I put my hands back. I said, I don't, I said, I'm not taking that cat from you. And he said, here, I'm about to drop him. I can't hold him much longer. I said, I'm not touching that cat. And the lady said, uh, He's not going to get that cat. we got to get this place cleaned up. Right then, the cat bites the guy on the hand. He bites the guy who lives with him. What do you think the cat would have done to me if I would have taken the cat from him? And so the, the old man yells and throws the cat across the room, and so they, they finally catch all the animals. They get them in the, they get them in the garage, and I, we tell them again. We say, listen, everybody has to be out of the house. We're going to be doing a lot of spraying because we're wearing respirators and all kind of stuff spraying in there. And I said, uh, once we finish... It's probably going to take us a couple hours, but when we finish, you can't come back for at least two more hours after that, probably four. So don't plan on coming back to the end of the day. And uh, they said, oh, yeah, we got everything out. So they leave, and I start, you know, nosing around the house, and there's a door locked, and I can't get it to open. And so I tell him, I said, hey, well, what are we going to do with this room? Because there's got to be bugs in this room, too. And he says, well, don't worry about it. Let's just, we're gonna, we know we got to come back. We're just trying to get it knocked down to where we can actually get in here and treat. 
and uh, we'll get it later. So, okay, so now I'm back in the kitchen and it's, it's the house where you walk the whole time. Even when you're standing in one place, you walk. Because if you stop walking, they start walking right up your pants legs. So you got to just keep letting them crunch under your feet. And uh, so we're doing that. And you saw that chair in the video. Maybe you saw that black chair there. I, and I, I was like, man, this, is, this house is really bad. And uh, he said, yeah. I said, well, watch this. So I took the chair. We, you know, we were, guys are going to do guy things. I took this chair up and I slammed it on the floor. And when it hit the floor, a bunch of roaches fell out the bottom and just took off running. So we're laughing and we're hollering and, oh, man, y'all, gosh, look at this. and all. So we've been there about an hour and we've got stuff running everywhere. And all of a sudden I hear a door open. And uh, this guy comes walking down the hallway. He's in shorts and barefoot. And I'm like, I look over at the guy with me. I'm like, what is he just, we're got on, I mean, it stinks in this place where we sprayed all kind of poison and he, we, you know, one's supposed to be in there. He just walks in barefoot, look, comes to the fridge. The inside of the fridge was just about like the back of the fridge. They was just crawling all over everything in the fridge. He opens up the fridge and grabs a Bojangles biscuit that was wrapped up in there and just nods at me and takes a bite and walks out the house. Barefoot, never putting his shoes on. So I'm like, I said, that guy's crazy. So... I said, well, at least we can treat his room now, now that he's gone, and uh, looked around for no more surprises, and we get back to it, and we're just talking about how crazy this guy is, and we're talking about all, you know, all, the, all the stuff you would do in a job like that when you've got to keep that mask on for almost two hours in that hot house. And so we leave. I get a phone call. Mm, I think it was either the next day or the day after from my boss, and he was upset with me. And he said, uh, hey, I need to talk to you about that house that y'all went to the other day. I said, what about it? He said, the lady's called and she's upset. She's crying on the phone. I said, what is she crying for? There's no way that that house isn't better. I said, as many bugs as we killed in that place, she, I don't understand why she, what, you know, what could be the problem. And he said, she's not upset about the service y'all did. She's upset about what you said about her house. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, well, this guy walked out in the middle of it barefooted, eating a biscuit, you know, walking on bugs. But, I mean, other than that, and she, he said, no, not that guy. I said, there's a, uh, her son was in the garage with the animals. And he heard y'all talking bad about his house, and the lady's crying, and she said that no child should ever hear anyone talk about where they live like that. And I said, I don't really remember talking bad about their house. I remember talking about how bad the bugs were. And uh, I said, but... If I need to call the lady and apologize, I'll apologize to her. I said, but, but uh, I said, I'm just going to tell you how, what this house was like. And I said, you can call Chad and ask him if you want. I said, but if you sent me to that house tomorrow and told me that that little boy would be in the garage, I still would have hollered and screamed because I said, roaches were crawling on her. I mean, they were everywhere. I said, there's no way anybody would treat that house and not have something to say. I said, but I'm sorry. He said, well... I just needed to know exactly what y'all were dealing with. Don't worry about it. I'll handle it. He calls me back about an hour later. He says, don't worry about that house. I said, okay, well, what did you do? Did y'all give her a free service? Did you, you know, what, what's, the, what's the deal with it? And he said, no, her little boy in the garage is 26 years old. I said, 26 years old? He said, yeah, 
He said she was still kind of like crying on the phone and all, and then she said something about him being 26 years old. And I said, hold on, wait a second, to change the con conversation. And see, the thing about it was they called because this house was bad. They called because it was out of control. They called, they called because they could not, the house was so bad they could not stand to live in that anymore. And everybody has a different limit, I guess, on what that is, apparently. Uh, but now they're mad at me for saying the house is bad when they called because the house is bad. They talked to the salesman who told them the house was bad. Told them it was going to be three times as much as a normal house would be to treat that size because it was bad. They had to save up the money and wait about three or four weeks to get it done because they wanted to be able to take care of all of it at one time because the house was so bad. But I'm a bad guy because I told them the house was bad. Instead of this 26-year-old feeling embarrassed that he let his mama's house get that bad and didn't help, uh, you know, take care of the problem, no, he's a victim, so he goes and cries to mama. Now mama, instead of telling her 26-year-old, she should have talked through her teeth at him and slapped him one time like my mom would have done. <laughs> but instead of her telling him, well, I guess they did say the house was bad. Didn't you see how, you know, I, I was embarrassed for them to come in the house, but we had to get rid of the problem. No, because she's a victim, she's going to call the company and look like a complete fool complaining about her little boy not having to hear this who's 26 years old hanging out in the garage. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm not trying to be mean about them having an issue at the house. I've gone in all kinds of situations and people just need help sometimes and things happen. It can happen to anybody. But to call and say something like that in a situation like that is just, just crazy. But see, we do the same thing with God. We do the same thing with the Word when we don't like what it has to say about us. Like I said, we were saying, oh God, I just, I'm making a mess of my life. I made bad decisions. I've got all these things I'm dealing with because I didn't do things your way. And uh, my life's just kind of messed up. And then we just flip and the Bible says... Oh, yeah, your life's messed up if you're living that way. I don't like what that says. I'm doing the best I can. But you just said it was messed up, so you came to church or you came to the Word to try and get help, but when somebody just tells you the truth, you can't take it. Or we're like, we'll say something like, uh, I just, I need to quit being so bitter. I don't know why I'm so angry all the time. And then we go and we read and it's, love your enemy. You can forget that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'd love to shove this fist in their throat. That's all I love. I'm not doing it. Or, you know, I don't know why I can't just, I just don't know why I'm not open to, to having more relationships with people and putting myself out there. And then, it, what do you mean forgive? You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how bad they treated me. Or it's like, oh, I'm, I just can't ever save any money. I, my finances are just in a mess. It doesn't, it, every time I turn around, it's another expense because I just bad decisions with my money. And that, It's more blessed to give than receive. I can't give anything. Didn't you hear? I don't have any money. That's what I'm upset about. You don't want to apply anything that it says. And all it's doing is, is another expert confirming what you already know. But yet we won't trust the vine dresser. We say that we do, but we don't. And we do it all the time. You already know it, and then an expert confirms it, and we get mad about it. So we need to quit being so easily offended. We need to stop following the world into this victim mentality system that's going around, and we need to trust God. Because trusting God is trusting the vine dresser. And so in John 15, 
verses 1 through 11, it says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples." As the Father loved me, I also have loved you, and abide, loved you abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may, be, may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. See, many people, when it comes to it, it He tells us right here, my Father is the vine dresser. We have to trust the vine dresser. But many people don't trust the vine dresser because they don't like the pruning process. They don't, want to, they don't want to deal with it. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit. So not the ones that get pruned aren't the ones that just don't do anything. You can be doing a work for the Lord. You can be bearing fruit. You can be doing amazing things. But even, even then, we're going, if we're with the vine dresser, there are going to be times of pruning. It says those are the ones He prunes that they may bear more fruit. How many times have we asked God to do more in our lives? And then we get upset at the pruning process. <laughs> we think He's mad at us. See, they don't trust the vine dresser because they don't like the pruning process. And the reason that we don't like the pruning process is because even though it helps, it hurts. It's just how it is. The pruning process is to help you, but it can also be painful because pruning is not surgery. Surgery is the removal of something bad, something, a tumor or something dead, something that's, that, that needs to go. And uh, pruning, it can be removing something bad or dead or something like that, but pruning can also be the removing of something that's good so that you can experience better. Pruning can be the removing of something better so that you can experience God's best for your life. So pruning is that cutting away of that thing that's even alive. It's not always dead. It can be the removal of something that's not bad, but it could be draining you or keeping you back spiritually from what God has for you, His best. So we don't like that because we want what makes us happy right now. We want what causes us the least amount of discomfort. We want what makes us feel good right now who cares about what it might cost us in the future or what it might keep us from in the future but see we need to trust the vine dresser i don't know about you but i want to experience god's best for me and i don't want that to just be when i get to heaven i want it right now i want his best for me today and every day and some days that may take some pruning it might not be comfortable and some days that might mean me that might mean me listening to his voice and leaving something on the vine that I'm thinking I want to enjoy right now because He knows what's best. He knows what it will be down the road. Either way, it's all about trusting the vine dresser. And when we do that, we will experience unbelievable blessings from God. He knows what He's doing, but will we trust Him? 
Will we trust Him and just quit going after so many crazy things and just understand the importance of walking with Him day and day? Because if we trust Him, not only will we bear fruit, but we will bear more fruit and we will bear much fruit for the kingdom of God. And it would be better than we could have ever uh, even imagined. Father, I just thank You that You're with us today, Lord. We thank You, Lord, for... Those that we've already prayed for, we know you're moving in their lives, God. Lord, I just pray for every person here, God, that we would trust the vine dresser. Lord, we're just here calling out to you, Lord. You are the expert. God, we've made a mess of so many things, God, but you can take care of it all. God, help us to not only trust you, God, but to listen to your voice. Lord, to trust what your word says. Lord, we thank you for the pruning process. Even though we might not always like the way it feels, Lord, it can be uncomfortable. We know that you're doing it for our good. Lord, we want to bear fruit, but God, you want us to bear fruit. You want us to bear more fruit and much fruit. So I just pray that every person here, God, would just we would just let go of the victim mentality. We let go of the right to be offended, Lord. We'll give up that right because we want to experience you. God, we want to bear more. We want to bear much fruit for the kingdom of God. We want to take every day walking with you and learn unbelievable lessons so that we can be more like Jesus. So God, I pray for every person here, Lord, that they would receive God and that they would be blessed. And God, we give you the honor and the glory that you would be with us all this week, God, that we would just lean into you like never before and experience your goodness every single day, what your best is for us, God. And we would partner with you in that. And that we would trust you with that. Knowing that you know all things. And Lord, you're out for our good. You're just looking for ways to be amazing in our lives. And we thank you for it. And God, we give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.